Facebook is a hotbed of bad takes today. Loads and loads of unsophisticated, anti-science, identity-driven drivel about the Georgia Heartbeat Bill. The one thing that these ill-formed jabs have in common is that they are characterized by extreme self-indulgence, a quality that I find annoying in children and morally reprehensible in adults. That being said, is anyone here willing to have a truth-centered debate on the subject of abortion? I'd like to give the pro-choice side the benefit of the doubt, but all I see are empty platitudes, ignorant slogans, and blatant false equivalencies. If you're so certain your ideas are better, then you shouldn't be afraid to have them go toe-to-toe with mine. This is the post I made to my personal Facebook page on May 13th, and subsequently had some responses, had two people reach out to me on the pro-choice side who were willing to have a debate. What follows is one of those debates with my old pal, Nick. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for joining me on the show. I really appreciate that you uh, that you wanted to come on. Yeah, thanks for, for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this with you today. Sure thing. I think it's a really important discussion to have. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of people respond to my Facebook post. I've read the Facebook post out to the listeners. And uh, uh, it's been it's been interesting. You're my second so far, full disclosure. Okay. So, uh, okay. so yeah. I, had a, I had a warm-up round on you. So right. let's uh, let's get started. This is obviously about abortion, and I'm happy right. to discuss it from any point of view. Uh, before we get started, do you want to tell people maybe just a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you're about, and why this Facebook post intrigued you and why you wanted to come on the show? Sure. Uh, you know, my name's Nick. Uh, I'm 27, and uh, you know, I work in uh, I work in food service for for a uh, country club working in the kitchens uh this post particularly intrigued me because uh you know while there is a lot of discussion about abortion and um you know the laws that have you know brought it kind of to the forefront of you know people's minds recently uh there's not so many people who are willing to to debate it in a you know facts-based Here's what we can say with the statistics, and then here's what we can infer from that. And then comparing that with personal views in a way that it's not just devolving into a screaming match. So, you know, when I saw this, you know, I thought this is a great opportunity to have, you know, that sort of meaningful discussion. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. Excellent. Me too. Uh, You know, we were talking a little bit before we turned the recording on. Part of it, it's it's good to you know knock two ideas up against each other and see which idea sticks, and uh, it's also useful just to be able to rationalize your viewpoint uh, and not maybe just to back away from the general sloganeering that can happen online. You know, like you were mentioning, not that that's without its value, not that that's without its place, but there's a there's a an even more productive dialogue to be had. So that's why I'm I'm stoked for these conversations. So yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. I think right. that abortion is legally untenable. I don't think that there is a definition of life uh, rather than conception that would lead me to believe that we have sufficient scientific evidence to say that abortion isn't murder and to say that a, uh, that a fetus isn't a nascent human life deserving of rights. Uh, that's, that's my stance. I think the science backs me up. Not only do I think it's legally untenable, but I think it's a, somewhat of a moral blight. I don't, uh, I don't find it compelling necessarily that there's a vast majority of women who are getting pregnant randomly or without at least their own participation and consent. There are exceptions to that, obviously, and we can discuss the nuances of that. Um, and finally, I find most of the conversation being had 
in regards to abortion, especially in light of the new Georgia, Alabama laws and uh, potentially Virginia, I find that a lot of that dialogue is characterized by extreme self-indulgence, this have your cake and eat it too mentality that I don't find uh, particularly respectable. So that's my opinion. And uh, I'd like to hear yours. And if you want me to clarify any of my stances, that's cool. And then you can feel free to attack that point of view any way you see fit. All right. Um, well, uh, I, I think it's important for me to, to state first off that, you know, while I do support the uh, the ideas of pro-choice mm-hmm. that uh, are put forward, uh, abortion is not something that I would necessarily specifically choose if that were a situation that came up in my life. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think there are other options out there that I think would work better for me, but, um, you know, I'm going to be coming at this as more of a, here's why I personally believe that people should have the ability to choose whether or not they should have an abortion. Okay. Um, I think the, the biggest case that, that I find for that is the, concept of bodily autonomy okay which is i'm sure something that you've heard before and you've seen this argument before believe it or not and um it's uh it's something that is right now what defines the laws and what is built up to the laws that protect abortion from a constitutional standpoint right now sure um you know when you have things uh you know of course roe versus wade before that you had griswold v connecticut Planned Parenthood versus Casey and things like that, which enshrine right. the 14th Amendment as a, you know, a, a they, they, right to privacy right to and privacy, the, yeah. the right to liberty of the body. And that's where we draw a lot of our bodily autonomy laws from. And I think that's one of the reasons why it makes, to me, the most compelling argument in favor of pro-choice. Okay. Gotcha. So, so uh, I, I know that you're coming at this as more, you know, life begins at conception which you know that is something that is I, I understand why the the bodily autonomy argument is not something that you necessarily would agree with because from the the point of someone that you know life begins at conception that's another person another body and it should have its own autonomy right right exactly i i i and i'm happy to be shown a compelling line where in the gestation period the fetus or zygote or whatever misnomer we're going to apply to it achieves personhood in such a way that is scientifically rational and ideologically consistent and doesn't have a analog to a post-birth person right so i'm happy to i'm happy to have that discussion maybe that's not that fruitful for you um but in, in my opinion yeah at the point of conception you've got a unique genetic code and so i I want women to be bodily autonomous as much as I want to be bodily autonomous myself. However, uh, the the issue is that, and this is really what makes things complicated, is that I do see that as a separate body with a unique identity resting inside of uh, inside of the woman. And in most cases, in the vast majority of cases, she put herself in a situation where the possibility that a child could instantiate itself inside of her um, where that was a real possibility. And typically she did that consensually. So I, I see that as an issue of her ex- exercising her bodily autonomy 
to choose to engage in those actions and then not respecting the bodily autonomy of the natural consequence of those actions. Right. So, so, and, and I, I can see where you're saying where you're coming from with that. And, you know, it's, it, it, from, from the point of view where, you know, as a, the point where conception happens, that is where life begins. That's true. Um, you know, and to, to, to also be fair that, you know, it, from a strict biological definition, it is factual to say that conception begins at life because it is an entirely separate set of DNA that is not the same as the fathers of the mothers. So to say that there is a new life that begins at conception is factually true. Okay. Um, however, I would not equate a single cell fertilized egg to be a person okay for the intents and purposes of the abortion debate i would not quantify that as a person or having the same rights as a person okay that's interesting because neither do i i mean my typical argu- my typical typical stance on this is that i'm not trying to argue that that person is equally valid and equally viable as the mother, let's say, or as any post-birth human. That's not the argument I want to make. The argument that I do want to make is that they, just because they are not of equal value doesn't mean that they're valueless. And I think that without having an an analogy or another point during the gestation period to, to point to, I don't see why we don't think that that life, even less valuable as it may be, shouldn't have rights. I don't understand at what point the law confers rights to that person and why that, where in the gestation period that point occurs and why that's relevant. So, so from a legal standpoint, um, currently, right now, it is a point called the viability point. Sure. That is generally defined about 24 weeks of gestation, and it is most commonly referred to as the point at which the fetus could theoretically be successfully taken out of the mother, and it is a reasonable, you know, 50% greater chance to survive. Right, that I understand that. most typically at about 24 weeks, which is at what point I would say this is where you can give them personhood, because at this point, theoretically, you know, they can be their own person. They can be removed from their mother. They can have a legitimate chance of reaching adulthood, being a member of society. And I think that's really where the whole abortion debate boils down to, is at what point do you confer personhood? And, you know, there's always, there's there's several different ways to look at it. You know, there's the, you know, at the point of conception, you know, there's people, not very many, that say, well, it's, you know, when you take your first breath. And I think that for the most part, most people would say that that's, you know, even even from the pro-choice standpoint, that's going a little too far into the sure. giving, you know, and, and, and I'm curious, interesting. I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about that. So because you've been saying what the what the viewpoint of the masses are, and I think that that's super useful. And uh, yeah, I'm familiar with that as well. I'm curious as to what you think. Um, the so you agree that life that there is factually scientifically factually a human life that starts at conception 
Yes, I would agree with that. And then can we both agree that the that the first breath is kind of nonsensical? That the baby's position in relation to the vaginal canal is not what should confer personhood? Yes, I would agree with that as well. Okay, so we're on the same page there. We have a little bit of common ground. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you find a lot of times when you have these conversations is there is a lot of common ground. Oh, sure. Uh, actually, we were talking on the show last week. Uh, my brother brought up, I can't remember if it, I think it was Brett Weinstein had a tweet uh, about when you talk about abortion in logical, factual terms, we agree on a lot more than we think we do, uh, which right. is good. Um, so let me ask, for you personally, is fetal viability the proper marker for when we should consider something, um, when we should legally confer personhood and the rights associated with personhood to a fetus? Um for me personally, I would agree with that because to me that makes the most sense from a logical standpoint. It, you know, it's saying at this point, this is someone that can survive entirely on their own and independently of whatever the mother wants. So, you know, if you would, you know, at that point want to carry your, your pregnancy to full term, that's great. If you don't, there are other options, but there is still that point that is, you know, undeniable in saying, you know, if we really need to, we don't need you for the rest of this. And I think at that sure. point, that's when you can say, this is where we give legal and moral protection to to an unborn. Okay, so let's, uh, let me start with this, just as a test to see if we're still on the same page. If there was an apparatus, a scientifically advanced apparatus, that could extract a fetus from the point of from the moment of conception and gestate it extra utero uh so the mother wouldn't be required uh for any of that process would we then agree that abortion should be illegal that we should instead provided that the availability of this um product was sufficient for the demand and that it wasn't an undue burden in terms of cost and those sorts of things. But just say there was this magical machine that could that could prevent us from having any abortions and also didn't require women to be unduly burdened with the fetus at any point in the gestation period. Would we agree then that we should we should not have abortion? Well, yeah, at that point, then it becomes something that's unnecessary because there is a, another way to facilitate that if you don't want. To, to keep that pregnancy. Sure. So at that point, then you're just terminating life because it becomes easier. But at that point, we have a way to say, okay, well, this is now a viable life. This is someone that can grow to be a, you know, actual person outside of the confines of, a, you know, their mother. So at that point, yes, I would agree if such machine were to exist, then there would be no need for abortion because there is an alternative. Okay, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you agree because that's kind of one of the one of the questions I like to ask to see if I'm talking to, you know, what I would consider a person who's being logically consistent with the viability standard or not. So I think that is logically consistent. So I'm glad we, we have common ground there. Um, yeah. And so uh, don't let me mischaracterize your argument. So basically... Uh, the idea, you know, we have, I, I think there's some misconceptions about the science in this area. Um, we have, you know, and, and one of the reasons that there's misconceptions is we have in vitro fertilization and stuff. So people are like, well, why do we have to have that mother for that 
child. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, in vitro fertilization is incredibly messy. Most of the embryos mm-hmm. don't attach, right? Yeah. Uh, most of the embryos in, in con- that are conceived don't attach to the uterine wall anyway. Or the estimate right. maybe is about 50%. So the idea that the child before 24 weeks, give or take, could be transplanted into, let's say, an adoptive mother, that's not really realistic. And so the the truth is that, yes, we re- we require that specific mother to continue to carry this child for a certain amount of time. And basically you're saying underneath the law, you don't think forcing a woman to have that child or to continue to carry that child, being as we do require that specific mother is legally feasible or defensible. Well, uh, up, up until, you know, basically up until the, the point of viability, yes, it should, you know, remain something that is up to the mother because after the point of viability, I mean, even today, that's one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize about the, the current abortion law today is that so much of it is written around this viability. Right. There's nothing, there's nothing that, says that banning abortion post viability is unconstitutional. So so states, you know, Georgia if they said for example, okay, well, you know, after this 24 week point where this fetus is viable, you can no longer have an abortion, that is something that they are allowed to do. Yeah, so so essentially it comes down to, you know, as it stands right now where the laws are written, states can uh, create constitutional bans on abortion you know, past the point of viability. The problem is that none of them want to do that either because it's, you know, they the, the people who live there either want there to be just no abortion period or they want people to have abortions, you know, as they will. On demand. Right. And, yeah. you know, and that's led to one of the, the, I think, more misleading arguments that I've seen from pro-life, which is, you know, the super late term abortion you know you can carry it up to term it, right before you push it out you can abort it and that's just something that just it simply doesn't happen because well, medically that's just unsafe well i will say that based on uh, there are so, there there is a statistically significant amount of third trimester abortions uh and third trimester might not mean partial birth and those kind of things um, however, legally speaking, there are laws on the books. New York comes to mind immediately. They were, you know, just updated their uh, state abortion laws where that would be legal. So, I, you know, we can talk about what's practical and what's legal and the differences between those two things. But I, I do want to point out that on the books, there are legislators that are saying that those things should be allowed. Right. And. You know, that that also, again, brings up the point that just because something is legal does not necessarily mean it is moral. Right. You know, well, sure. and that is one of those things where, you know, I would classify that as immoral because at that point I see that as a person, as a living, breathing person. Right. I... You know, and and so, so that's where it becomes, you know, well, what is the morality and, you know, how does that tie in with personhood and how does that tie in with abortion? Sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely a complicated uh, question, um, but but we we've gotten to a good place now. So basically, for you, for for me, the line is unique personhood, and there's caveats to that for sure because we set the laws up um, 
basically so that we don't have to infringe on anybody else's morality. No one has to subscribe to a certain set of morality uh, to be a part of the American legal tradition and the British common law system. All that they really have to do is leave other people alone. And that's a good thing. Uh, And for you, the... um, the line is fetal viability because you don't think that the the law should uh, force any mother to carry a child to term when really there's not an alternative other than her. So in a way that we are demanding her labor at a certain point. Um, right. At, at a certain point, you know, I, I think, you know, and for me, the reason I think why I say up to viability is, um, because, you know, of course, there's always going to be pregnancies that happen that are unwanted or unexpected or, um, you know, and then people's life circumstances change where, you know, before, you know, something happens, you know, they're totally fine with having this child and, and carrying this pregnancy to term. And then, you know, a change happens in your life and suddenly that becomes a very much more difficult thing okay. uh, to do. And you know, up up to the point where I would confer personhood, I think that is something that people should be allowed to to decide. Okay. Because uh, the the state arbitrarily saying, well, because this has happened, you're you're on the hook. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I think is something that is just very cruel and um, uh, to to. I, I want to jump in on that topic because I think that's what's functional now. So there are abortions that occur uh, in regards to rape or incest, right? Right. And we're ta- but we're talking about a gross, gross minority. We're talking about something like less than 1% combined. Uh, less than 1% of abortions, based on the Guttmacher Institute research, less than 1% combined are as a result of rape or incest. So that would be a case where I would be inclined to agree with your prescription that you know, specifically the language you used, because this happened, right? Because this happened to you, we shouldn't be able to force you to carry something into term. However, I take exception to the idea that this just happened, the pregnancy being this and just happened being uh, occurred spontaneously. I mean, the vast majority of these these women are engaging in consensual sex and maybe they're doing it with a partner that is not going to stick around that they shouldn't be doing with. And by the way, that doesn't mean men should be off the hook either. And we can talk about that all we want. Right. right. I think that's, that men, I think that, that's a, that's a whole nother discussion for another day, but I would love to have it. Sure. Go with me. Just, just, uh, it seems like I'm, I'm talking to women here. I think that men that get someone pregnant and leave them are worse than the, the abortionists as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, most of them are engaging in consensual sex. It, it, it up until very recently, very very recently, if you had sex, you got pregnant. There was uh, in the history of hum- the human experience, you had sex, you got pregnant. That's bio- That's biology. Now technology helps us subvert biology in all different kinds of wonderful ways. And I'm not against any kind of uh, technology. Contraception is wonderful, just like uh, our research into uh, preventing and treating cancer to, you know, vaccines that have completely eradicated diseases uh, that used to ravage the planet until we stopped vaccinating our kids in Portland and Los Angeles, and now they're coming back. But um, I think that that's wonderful. Condoms are basically free. I did a quick search around Atlanta. Condoms are free. You can go to Planned Parenthood. There's plenty of uh, LGBTQ 
uh, centers that you can go to and just get free condoms, straight, gay, whatever, you can just get free condoms. I think that's wonderful. And also, uh, by and large, uh, you know, oral oral contraceptives, birth control is very cheap. You know, uh, we've gotten to this place where technology has allowed us to have sex and, and and minimize our consequences. Minimize them. Not eradicate them, but minimize our consequences. And so, in my opinion, when we're saying that you know, because this happened, uh, you shouldn't have to carry something to term. I don't like setting up laws in that way because I think that it's pretty obvious that the vast majority of these women are engaging in an action that could create a child. And you should, if you're going to engage in that behavior, you should be expected uh, to be ready to accept the consequences for that behavior. You know, and that's why I said that I find a lot of this discussions to be characterized by extreme self-indulgence because you you put yourself in a situation, engage in a set of actions that are very pleasurable and and desirable. Um, but if you were only thinking in the short term, then that's not the nascent child's fault. And so I, I think that that matters because you and I both agree that abortion is is not the best, it's not the most good. And if there was alternatives that didn't impinge on anybody else, we would take those alternatives immediately. I think that that's a wonderful thing. However, the alternatives exist. If, if, if you're so ab- abhorred by the idea of having a child and carrying it to term that you would want to terminate the child for whatever circumstance life finds you in, then why not not engage in sex? Or why not ensure proper use of contraceptive and why are we setting up laws in such a way that remove the personal responsibility from individuals who are engaging in actions that by and large we know can create children that's the rub i have right and and to address that i think um i think that comes to to one of the the actionable things that you know people who are both pro-life and pro-choice can can come together on is that there, there needs to be more of a push to lessen the amount of unwanted pregnancies we have. Totally agree. And, you know, you're, you're right. There, there are lots of great birth control methods that are out there. Uh, you know, oral contraceptives are something that are very widely available. They're somewhat inexpensive. Um, the problem that uh, most of the people that I've talked to, uh, most of the women that I've talked to that have used them have said that, they, the reason they don't like them or they, they chose another method was because of the hormonal effects that it had on their bodies. And, you know, uh, the, the side effects were more than they wanted to deal with. So totally and then, 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 you know, you look at other places, um, you know, for example, tubal litigation is something that is a, you know, a, a non-hormonal method of birth control that is, you know, essentially permanent. Um, the problem is, is that a lot of times, because there is no law, there are laws that say that, um, you don't have to have spousal consent to get tubal litigation. The problem is, is that it is not something that is mandated for doctors and physicians. The, the state does leave that up to doctors and physicians on whether or not they want to be associated with that surgery. So Mm -hmm. for example, if my girlfriend were to go to her doctor and say, I want to get tubal litigation. He might be re- refused because you know, she's too young. She's never had any kids. What if she wants them later? What if your husband might want them later? And just to be um, clear for the audience, this is effectively the, the less revo- less reversible female version of like getting your tubes tied. If you're a man, it prevents pregnancy um, 
physically more right. or less yeah right and and you know while there there shouldn't be a law that forces doctors to have to perform procedures that they are not morally comfortable with you know there does need to to be a push to destigmatize people who opt for long-term or permanent sterilization because they don't want kids and right now that's just something that is just so heavily stigmatized in both society and the medical community that it does make it more difficult for people who want to obtain those. Uh, totally agree. And like I said, I, I, there's a bunch of people on the religious right who are anti-contraceptive or anti-certain means of contraceptive for a variety of different reasons. Uh, plan B is a little bit of a tricky one simply because, you know, the, the logically consistent point of view would be that's to prevent the attachment of an embryo that's been conceived a lot of embryos don't attach anyway there's a there's a that's a complicated issue that i don't see being totally fruitful for this discussion but as far for if you're an adult uh you know and i think the legal definition for an adult is flawed but sufficient um if you're an adult you should be able to decide to do what you want and i think that uh I find it strange that doctors would choose not to perform that surgery for a consenting adult you know i think uh i think there's a variety of reasons for that, including uh, some of the bizarre insurance and uh, litigation that doctors go through. And I think that uh, our laws should be geared a lot more towards the Wild West than they are right now. You know, you're allowed to yeah. hijack your body and use it at your own risk. You know, uh, that's why I'm libertarian on drugs and those different sorts of things. Like I think uh, most rational people are. Um, yeah. But at any rate, uh, I, I want to jump in on a couple points because I do think that this is really the functional place of the disagreement. Um, okay. So if women don't like the side effects from birth control, uh, I can appreciate that and be sensitive to that. I, w- I wish birth control worked better for uh, everybody. I also w- wish that uh, you know oral birth control was available for men, for instance. And again, men can uh, have their tubes tied, their vas deferens mitigated in a variety of different ways, which are pretty reversible. Um, right. although me personally, I can't think of anything more horrifying than letting the doctor take a knife down there, but who knows? Um, yeah. anyhow, uh, the, the point is if you don't like it tough laws, our laws are not made to make everyone's lives free from suffering. Then that's for a couple reasons. One, because that's not the proper function of government, a government that could legitimately prevent all suffering would be a government that was too powerful. And second, it's impossible. Uh, A world is characterized by suffering and and grievous suffering at that. And it's incumbent on us then to to look at that suffering and forthrightly deal with it and do the right thing in the face of of that suffering. And that's a moral argument, not a legal one. But the legal one would be that, that it's not the government's job to make sure that you like your options. It's the government's job to make sure you don't infringe on somebody else's rights. And so I totally agree with the ethos of what you're saying, that we should prevent unwanted pregnancies. But legally, two wrongs don't make a right. And so I, I, and there's always physical birth control, um, you know, like condoms and those kind of things. And I think that, you know, they have their drawbacks as well, as I'm sure we all know. But anyhow, like, I, right. I don't find that to be legally, for me personally, I don't find that to be legally compelling. Right. And, and that may not be something that's so much is a, a legally compelling argument for the, the sake of abortion. But I think it is a, in, in the terms of where we are at as a society today, maybe perhaps one of the more 
necessary discussions around abortion sure sure that that we can have as a nation is you know well you know even you know people who are pro-choice you know myself included we we would prefer option uh, abortion to not be necessary you know if it was not necessary that would be ideal right so okay so so then you you i think the more productive discussion that we need to have as a country isn't so much about whether abortion should be legal or not because that is something that i don't think will really necessarily ever be determined mm-hmm. um with with full um what's the word i'm looking for full any, any kind of biological yeah. legal certainty right it's it's something that because there's so much variability in the the issue and there's so many different moral approaches to it and moral viewpoints that are upheld and espoused in our country that you know you cannot find a a permanent legal solution without infringing on the the morals and um dearly held beliefs of people that live in our country and that's why i think that you know while it is an important discussion to have i think the more important discussion that ultimately needs to be had is what are things that we as a society and uh, as, as citizens of our government can call upon our government to do to help reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies. And I think that's a very important first step on things to, to address. Sure. I, I totally agree. I think, uh, and, and I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation too. I think that we should um, reduce unwanted pregnancies. And in a way, you and I are talking about the same thing. The thing that I'm right. saying is that if you want to reduce unwanted pregnancies, especially your own, don't have sex until you're ready to have kids. And I know that's not a very popular viewpoint. You might think it's not even a reasonable viewpoint, but it actually used to be the biological certainty. It used to be the biological imperative um, up until very recently. I mean, we're talking about maybe 60 years before the first, you know, semi-effective contraception started hitting the market. And so I, I think that you and I both want the same thing, which is telling, but, but the, problem that I have with that argument and if if there's not a good answer to this if you don't have a good answer to this it's okay we can move on but this is the answer that I'm really interested in hearing from somebody is you know explain to me why the moral responsibility and the the legal responsibility from someone should disappear uh, because the alternatives are uncomfortable of course I'm talking about specifically the vast majority of abortion seekers who made a consensual decision to put their body into a position where it was perfectly reasonable to expect that they would have a pregnancy. So, so what legally absolves them of their responsibility to another human life? That's the question that I can't, I can't get answered. So, so the, the reason that you're not able to get that answered is because people's definition of life is different. Okay, but base it, base it on fetal, base it on yours then, base it on fetal viability, what can you give me? So, so based on fetal viability, if, for example, you know, my girlfriend came to me and said, hey, I'm pregnant, we are not in a position financially, or what have you, I, I don't want to have this, I'm not ready to be a mom, I don't think you're ready to be that, whatever the case may be, she says, I want to have an abortion. I, I think that because it is prior to the point at which that fetus has become a person, I think that is morally permissible because I don't classify 
that fetus as a person I, I get at what, that point. I get what you're saying, so, but so, we both said that if there was if there was an alternative, we would take it. If there was an alternative, like the machine that I made up, which is mythical, if there's an alternative that we take it. And so there is an alternative, and that's the problem I have. There is an alternative, and the alternative is to abstain. And even though that's not a very fun alternative, that's a that's a perfectly reasonable alternative. So why are we not discussing that alternative? Well, I mean, that, that is an alternative that is discussed and is talked about. And the the reason that it's not being seen as such a, something that's so popular is because, let's be honest, people like having sex. Excuse me, what? It's, it's people <laughs> like having sex. Yeah, obviously. I, I agree. And people like short-term grati- gratification, and that's exactly what sex is when you're not ready for a kid, I think, in a lot of, a lot of situations. And so I understand perfectly, perfectly well the reasons that people would want to have sex. The problem is that if you eat a bunch of sugar, you get fat. And, if you, and that's, that's just the way the world works. And if you pursue short-term gratification, if you spend a lot of money, you have a lot of fun, and you go into debt. Like, that's how things are set up. The idea that we can have rampant self-gratification and no consequences to me seems unsustainable. And yet we entertain that notion, in, in, in my opinion, in one of the most important realms that could possibly exist, that being the realm of potentially infringing on another human being's life and well-being and even if it's not a fully fledged person sure but the but the, then there's the question of reckless endangerment i mean if we're not sure when it, it becomes a life or we can't pick a point that's not arbitrary then we're pointing a gun into the classroom and firing the trigger and sure we might not be hitting a kid but we don't know and so why is that morally acceptable and i i, I know i'm harping on a point and uh putting you in a difficult position i'm really glad you wanted to have this conversation but that's so functional to me so why, why, why is it okay, legally, morally, both, to, to engage in behavior and then not be responsible for the obvious consequences? Partially because those consequences, because of the advancements that have been made in technology, are not necessarily you know, A follows B now. I mean, so so going back to what you were saying that, you know, prior to, you know, the, the invention of, you know, adequate birth control and contraceptive methods, mm-hmm. if you had sex, you got pregnant, and that's just what it was. The, the reality is, is that today that is different. Sure. Just because you have sex does not mean you are going to get pregnant. I totally agree. And just because you get pregnant does not necessarily mean you have to have a child. Do you speaking naturalistically? As in, you you might have a conception and not necessarily have a pregnancy, or well, that and and more on on the point of you know we have you know the the abortion procedures in place now, where just because you you have a child does not necessarily mean that you are automatically now responsible for giving birth to a child legally. Now legally, from a moral standpoint, that depends on your morals totally agree and and that's you're going to get a different answer from person to person for me you know i i see abortion as something that is morally permissible um for for not just the reasons that you know i don't see that as a as a person but also for the reasons that you know if you if you look at the the information that was released from the cdc on abortions the latest study they have is from 2015 Mm-hmm. The the data shows is that you know most people 
who are having abortions, statistically speaking, the average person getting an abortion has already had a child. They are unmarried, and right. they have never had an abortion before. This is someone who has found that, okay, this this is something that I, I cannot do. You know, I'm I'm a young, single woman. I already have a child that I'm trying to support. I cannot afford another one. I, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do to afford another one. Right, and I think that's where uh, some people draw their moral from their morals from in saying that Com- compassion you know, for the woman, you know, is moral is yeah. Well, compassion for the woman, and then compassion for you know, well, what happens when that child grows up, and now their options are going to be thrown into an overcrowded and underfunded you know defect system, DHS system, yeah, and you know that or or force them to live with someone who is not you know maybe able to provide for them. You know, they're living on a welfare state, you know, food stamps, you know, Department of Housing, things like that. You know, you you see people who say, well, you know, at that point, if that's going to be the quality of life that you would have, you know, is it not morally better to spare someone that suffering? Which, you know, it, it's not a perfect moral argument, obviously. Sure. You you can see where people are coming from with that. Uh, I, and, tot- I totally see where people are coming from, and that's that's why it's an interesting debate. Um, yeah. But let's keep trying to untie this knot because the you're right. Most of the women that are having abortions are unwed, typically raising a child alone, and they don't think that they can do this again. My question is, why are they having sex? And I know that's an unpopular question. Your point that you made earlier was A doesn't necessarily follow B, that sex doesn't necessarily imply conception at this point, imply pregnancy at this point. And my counter argument to that is that is fantastic. That's one of the greatest things that's happened in, in the personal liberties of human beings as well as women in general, that now we can engage in this thing that turns out that the vast majority of us really enjoy doing and right. mitigate, the, mitigate the consequences of that. And I think that that's perfectly reasonable in a libertarian society however that doesn't mean that there's no consequences and the the backdoor idea that that kind of argument espouses is that just because we've been able to mitigate a grand number of the consequences means that we shouldn't be responsible for any of the consequences and i don't think that that follows just because it's not as common now doesn't mean that it's that that is an argument that makes that releases you from your moral obligations and your your legal ethical obligations it's a great thing and we both agree that it's a great thing but that doesn't mean that it, you're not responsible for it and so you know it's like it goes back to the whole pro-choice pro-life thing like people say like you're just for pro-life and i'm for women having choices i'm for women having a lot of choices too adoption whatever those are all good choices uh, abstinence is a, a fine choice for a lot of people as well um, there's just one choice that I don't like, and the choice that I don't like, I don't like it because it you can't I can't in my brain untangle it from the ending of an individual's existence, which is the is the basis for all the tenets of British common law and, and the the West in general, which I think has been a, a huge moral good. And we can that's a different discussion, but at any rate, you see where I'm coming from. That's the net the, right. the knot that I keep wanting to untangle. And the other argument you made was the utilitarian argument, which is that you know, throwing a kid into foster care isn't isn't necessarily a social good, right? And I totally understand where you're coming from there. However, there's plenty of successful people in the the foster care system. I'm not accusing you of doing this, but I, I would caution you to be careful because it shows a backdoor disdain for people in that system. I mean, I think that well, I think that there's there are 
other options out there that don't require the death of a child and also don't infringe on the mother in an undue way. I mean, nine months, put it into foster care, put it up for adoption. I th what, why not that? Well, you know, and, and, you know, just to be clear, you know, I, 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 my family was a foster family for a great many number of years. Right. So, you know, I'm very familiar with the foster care system and how it works. And for me, it's, it's not that people in the foster care system should be considered as less than or not as much or they don't have any chances. But, you know, seeing the system and seeing the the actual kids that are in the system yeah it it's a it's a hard life totally you know, agree. it is it is life and i'm not saying that people who have gone through the foster system cannot do great things or become great and you know most of them do you know the there's only just i think it's just under 11 percent that exit the the foster care system in less than you know ideal circumstances Right. But the, the 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 fact is is that you know in the foster care system, if a, when a, once a child comes in, the the average for them to to get out to be adopted or to age out is just over two and a half years. It's about thirty two months, mm -hmm. and you know that's that's a large portion of you know anybody's life, and you know when you see the the average quality of life of, of people in the system it's not ideal it's not terrible. absolutely it's not terrible but it's not ideal right and no, neither is know, single motherhood by the way right and and you know i i think adoption for a lot of people is a fantastic method you know there are a lot of um especially more recently um there there's been a very big push to to uh integrate people who are interested in adoption and get them uh matched with people who have said you know this is not a child that I want but you know I I feel a moral obligation and you know I think systems like that are fantastic and I would totally love agree. love to see a, a bigger push to make that process easier to make it less expensive and I I think that you know ideally that's the the end game of, of the system that I would envision as being perfect is something where it says, okay, well, you know, you don't necessarily want this child, but here is this person that does. Yeah, oh, and to totally agree. I think that's a perfectly reasonable viewpoint to have. Um, you know, my, me and my the, family are very involved in the adoption process, and, and it, it, you know, I'll just put it this way. Where does the choice of the child come into play? You know, I think that there's a lot of kids that if you could ask them, if they had the ability to answer, a lot of even fetuses, if they had the ability to rationalize and the ability to answer, uh, and you would say foster care, adoption, or death, I don't think you'd have a lot choosing death. That's that's the point I'm getting at, right? And so some some choice from the other individual in the situation, if you, if you uh, can stomach that. But... Anyhow, I'm right there with you. Yeah, that would a system that would put every child into the arms of a family that one of them would be a fantastic system. Right, and and that's I think one of the other things that you know we as a society can push our elected leaders to to focus on and to say this is something that we want. You know, whether we're pro-choice or pro-life, this is something that outside of the abortion debate needs to happen. Absolutely. Then again, that's not part of what we're debating. Well, well, well yeah, it, it is reasonable to bring that up, and you know. Uh, I'm I'm ready to stand with 
all all my rational brothers and sisters and push for those things but um but yeah you're you're right the that's the two wrongs don't make a right argument um and and the question that still remains to be answered is is there are these alternatives and we should make those alternatives more and more available absolutely but what frees you of your moral and ethical and legal obligations when you you know excluding rape and incest when you enter into a set of actions that have a logical result and then the logical result occurs what frees you from those obligations and, and the, the thing nick that i'm having a little trouble with understanding where you're coming from um is that you know we've both agreed that that if there was an alternative we would take it and then i pitch you an alternative and you say well i still don't think it's necessary to take that alternative because uh, you use the personhood argument of fetal viability, but we both already agreed that if we could have a system that that could allow children to, or allow fetuses to be gestated extra utero, uh, from the point of conception, that we would we would choose that option. We would both choose that option. So, what ch what changes? Or how come how come that option's viable and the other options aren't viable? And I'm talking about legally because I understand that that it requires the labor of a woman. Um, but the, but the idea the, that the woman just wound up with a pregnancy is vastly untrue. Right. And I, I think the, the, the difference, because, you know, if the, the affirmation magic machine worked, you know, that, that's, that's something that we both agree on. That's ideal. The, the problem is, is that from, for right now, it doesn't exist. I agree. Right, and, it's, it's impractical, and that's where we need to legislate is in the now. I agree, but the, but the the point is that we don't make laws based on we don't typically make laws based on what's practical. We typically make laws based on what's right, and what's what's practical is to take around anybody who's a murderer. What's practical is to take a round of twenty two, and shoot them in the head it saves us a lot of money it it frees up our prison our prison population it prevents recidivism and uh criminals from re-entering society i mean there's a lot of things that are practical about it but i don't think you or i are necessarily for that in every case right so we don't right. we don't always we don't always go with what's practical we go with what's right because the ideas that our laws are built upon are that you have to take responsibility for your actions and that you can swing your fist around generally our laws we've moved away from this a little bit recently in america but the but the ideal state would be generally that you can swing your fist around until it hits somebody else in the nose and i think that that's perfectly perfectly reasonable and the correct thing to do and so so i agree that it's not it's it's inconvenient and impractical for the woman to bear a child that she doesn't want at least till she can give it up for adoption or put it in the foster care system however she didn't wind up with that in that situation without her own volition and that's the problem because you have to be responsible for your own actions otherwise why if you're not going to be responsible for your own actions why do we legislate anything laws wouldn't matter right i i, I see where you're coming from with that um i'm trying to think of how how to to best word this without being repetitive or going off on a tangent well, I, I'm, I'm not um, trying. I'm not trying to be repetitive and keep asking the same question over again. But I am looking for an answer to that question, an honest answer to that question. 
I'm not saying you're being dishonest. I didn't try and backdoor an a anti-compliment no, no. there. Or no, slight. I, 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 I wouldn't think that from you. But, um, okay. Uh, it, it, it comes down to, I think for me, that the, the 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 act of accepting responsibility for your actions is something that yet yeah, our system is built upon mm-hmm. the the i think the difference in where where you and i are coming from is in what we see those consequences to be um you know and i think that boils down to our difference in personhood is is i guess what i'm trying to get at is mm-hmm. you know for from from your point of view you've had sex you have created a person it is now your responsibility for that person for me i don't see it like that i see that as you've had sex you have created something that will be will become a person and it is not a person now. And you have the option now to say, I, I don't want this to become a person that I am responsible for. I understand what and, you're saying. And by, by, by that, uh, I guess, point of view, it's not someone, the, 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 the woman is not, not taking responsibility for her actions. She's taking responsibility for her actions, but the consequences are different because of, you know, I, I don't believe that this is a person. I, I understand where you're coming from. And Nick, just to be perfectly honest, the one ideological inconsistency that I see is that you, I think you still maintain and maintained earlier that if there was a, if there was another way out, we would take it. We obviously see abortion, even at very early stages in, in the pregnancy, to be some kind of undesirable outcome, to be some kind of uh, moral shortcoming, even if it's a minor one, even if it's a minor one. But that's telling. And I, I, I can't see how you marry up the claim that if we didn't have to abort and didn't impend on the gestation of the woman and the labor of the woman that we would take that route and then turn around and say that that we don't see that as a life and we don't see that as a necessary consequence and a consequence worth defending on this side we're defending it on this side we're not defending it and i think that that's that's the inconsistency that i see and i think that that inconsistency matters um so maybe maybe think about it i as far as i'm concerned I understand that my point of view burdens people, but I think the world is characterized by people accepting that burden, and definitely our British common law tradition and the legal system in America. With that being said, man, thank you so much for coming on the show and having this debate. You got balls of steel. It's the same thing I told the other guy. It's it's not. It's so much easier to do the other thing um, and just just shoot off at the hip. And to actually sit down, rationalize a viewpoint, and disagree with someone politely is something that I value incredibly highly. Um, and so 
with that, thanks so much. I'll give you the last word if you want to rebut the last point I just made. Please do. And uh, any closing remarks? Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to leave it at that. You know, I'm, you, you've brought up some points that, you know, I'm definitely going to go home. I'm going to think about and, and consider and, and turn into my head a little bit more. Sure. You know, um, and this may be something that we revisit privately, but I do want to thank you for, for having me on today and for talking with me through this. You know, it is something that I really do appreciate that there are still people who are willing to sit down and to talk about issues that are difficult. And even though we may not necessarily agree on all the fine points, I'm glad that we at least agree on, on some of the more broad strokes and some of the things that, you know, we, we see that we as a society can be doing. And I, I think that that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed having this talk with you and, uh, I'm looking forward to, to maybe having some more in the future on some other topics. Absolutely. A lot of, a lot of opinions on a lot of things. And, uh, this is, this has actually been a lot of fun. I so totally agree. We'd love to have you back. Um, maybe, Hey, maybe we find something we agree on and we bring you on a regular episode and you can, uh, you can jaw with Hunter and I, we'd love that. Uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I, I know that you've got the best intentions and even when things get heated, that's, uh, that's what we can rely on. You let me know whatever we're going to do. Um, to further foster the foster system and adoption and our acceptance of it. I'm ready to write letters to congressmen and all that. So you let me know and uh, we'll stay on side by side on that one, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got a couple things that uh, I can actually share with you that um, are coming up. If I had uh, my computer up, I'd have it all for you. I can send it over, but uh, there's actually, I know um, a, a DFAX fundraiser and a foster, fa- uh, foster family uh event that, uh, that my dad's actually putting on in, uh, I believe it's it's June or July. It's one. It's coming up in the, I think it's July, July 8th, I, I believe it okay. is. Um, and he's having a, a, a big fundraising event. He, this is the second year that he's done it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to send you some information about that, get that out to you. And uh, Yeah, I'd be happy to, happy to share that. If you just okay it with him that we share those details and uh, yeah, send that over to me and I'll add it on a bumper on this episode, which I'm going to work to get up before that date. But anyway, we'll put it out on the social before then if you can get that to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me run it by him and see what he needs and how he wants to put it out and uh, I'll send that over to you. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Well, unfortunately, due to some privacy concerns, we weren't able to actually share that event on our social media or on this podcast. But Nick did provide me with some links to some local charities that support the foster care movement, foster kids movement. So we're very excited to be able to share those with you in the show notes. And that's that. I think it was a really good debate, maybe a little bit more, uh, a little bit more centered than the debate with Ben. We kind of drove home on some core points as opposed to spreading out. But I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. Maybe some minds got changed. I know Nick said he had some things to think about, which I think is awesome. Follow us. Subscribe. You know how to do it. Thanks so much for listening, and let us know what you think.